You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. got kids on school holidays are you loving it (laughs) trying to you know what I've got to be honest and I can because they're not in here Ben don't say anything it has been a very rough week at our place let me tell you I have not enjoyed in all honesty I have not enjoyed the first week of school holidays I'll put it out there I like the idea of it at the beginning. I like the idea of those slower mornings and all this extra time. And then, you know, last week by about, you know, four o'clock on Saturday afternoon, I was going, oh, this could be a long week. Anyway, it's improved since some cousins arrived and things like that, but, you know. I just, you know, putting it out there, it's not always as fun as it seems at the beginning, but, you know, you've got to look for, the, look for the good in it and the times where they're happy and not yelling at you. Because uh, there's been a whole world of that this week. Poor Darren comes home, from, <laughs> comes home from work. Is there anything I can do? Yeah, you can take them away for at least a week. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I can do that. Uh, anyway, it's all good. It's going to be good. It's going to be a good morning. We have been in a great season the last four years. And I say, you know, we've been through a lot. There's been a lot of transformation that's happened across our our campuses. Um, And can I encourage you, if you're still on that journey, don't feel left behind in that. Just keep going. Keep walking it. Keep asking questions. Keep turning up. Keep, you know, being at Connect Group, being in church pushing through. Um, We've really been rewired in our thinking and our values, which has been necessary. It's been healthy for us to go there. Um, So where we're at now, I would say that our faith is no longer performance-based. Our identity precedes our activity. That has been a huge one for me, that, you know, it's not about um, what I'm doing all the time and how much I'm doing. Um... Where, where my identity comes from, that we don't earn God's love through effort and achievement. And his favour isn't honest because of our role or our title or what ministry we're doing. It's honest because we're children of God. It's been a, a great journey, but sometimes very difficult, sometimes very confronting. Um, and I'd say there's certainly been a few times where I've thought, oh, maybe we can just, you know... Stop here. That, that's enough for now, God. But it's affected us powerfully over the last few years. So whilst it's been positive for the most part, there is a possibility of our hearts slipping. That's something I want to talk a bit about today. The revelation and the experiences of grace we've received over this time, should empower us to live an incredible life. Not a life for self, a life for God. And I think that slipping, it takes place, our hearts slipping, when we use this grace as a little bit of a license to kind of do whatever we feel like, to do whatever's convenient. 
Paul told the churches at Galatia that they'd been set free and they should no longer be under bondage to law or anyone any longer. And just a few verses later, it says this in Galatians, and I've got it on the screen in the message version. It's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. Pastor Keith says this, The risk of grace is that God gives us the freedom to choose and the scandal of grace is when we make the wrong choice. I've really wrestled with this message this week. It's been a real weight of responsibility to bring this this morning. And, you know, some of you probably won't want to talk to me afterwards. Um, <laughs> and I can live with that. I can live with that. You'll come around eventually, maybe, or you'll leave. Um, but through my preparation this week, God's really increased my heart for you guys, really increased my heart for our church. So, you know, that's just, you know, there for you to brace yourself. That's like when I say to Darren, you know, I really need to just open the lines of communication. So let's go to Revelation 2, where John addresses the church in Ephesus. And you know what is really interesting about this, that I didn't know and learnt this along the way this week, that John wrote Revelation, and whilst you'd be forgiven for thinking he's just like this thundering prophet that's like hammering everybody, 30 years earlier he was the pastor at the church of Ephesus. So he comes with a real pastor's heart in what he brings. The church at Laodicea, which we'll talk about a little bit further down, um, is also only 20 k's away from Ephesus. So uh, he would have had a real connection with them as well. They'd have, they'd have been quite linked. So Revelation 2. Um, I'm actually going to read it from my notes because... I'm having trouble reading the small print in my Bible. So, Serena, if you can just hold my Bible back there, I might be able to read it. But, no, I still couldn't read it. But, yeah, I'm going to go with my notes. So, I probably didn't even need to bring my Bible up here, but that's all right. Chapter 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You've, you've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not re repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who's victorious, I will give him the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. 
So don't lose your first love. C3 victory and hear this with a heart that loves you. But C3 victory Northwest Campus and the church at Ephesus, we've got a lot in common. We have worked over the last 15 years so very hard. We've, from the get-go, we were young and keen and passionate and we would get out there and do whatever it took, whatever it took. We'd be sweeping and setting up chairs. I mean, gosh, how good is this building where we don't have to do quite the setup, the labour-intensive setup than that we used to? But we've worked so hard and nobody could question our perseverance. I remember when we first were prayed for and sent out um, in a service our last week um, and a word spoken over us, prophesied over us, darn that person, was uh, perseverance. Perseverance is going to be a characteristic and like it always comes back to me when I feel like things are a bit tough, I go darn perseverance word all right but for some of us today in amongst our newfound revelations that our our faith doesn't rest on our performance our identity comes before our activity that we don't earn God's love through our efforts I feel like perhaps we've taken a little step back perhaps our hearts have slipped a little and we've lost a bit of passion in the process it's quiet isn't it Sometimes healthy rest can turn into a bit of laziness and a bit of convenience. Exodus 20 verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. So what's changed? What got in the way of your first love? Who got in the way of your first love? I remember I used to meet with somebody, it was a few years ago now, and young, you know, girl, young, when I say young, sort of, you know, late teens, early 20s. And she really was, she really wanted a relationship with God. But she was so tormented by getting dragged out by the world. And she would meet with me regularly and she'd pour her heart out. And when it came to the crunch, she just couldn't say no to her friends. She couldn't say, you know what? I'm not going to go out tonight because it wasn't just like I'm going to go out with my friends until 10. It'd be like I may or may not come back until the morning. And this would happen all through the week and she wondered why things were slipping in her heart and things were shifting and why she couldn't connect with God because she just couldn't say no. That fear of missing out was way greater than her fear of missing out with God. Maybe it's money that draws you away. Maybe it's time, maybe it's work. What other gods are you putting before him? A little later in Revelation, John speaks to the the church at Laodicea. And this will be up on the screen, Revelation 3. It says, The angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. 
You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you do not realise that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and put salve on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. Mm. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Don't let yourself go lukewarm. Do I think we're a lukewarm church? No, I don't. But I do think we need to be careful not to go there. Which is the greatest commandment? Three times in three Gospels in the New Testament, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to, live you, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So what did it look like when you first met Jesus? Some of you have got to think back a long way for that. Did you give anything up? What changed for you? Were you busting to learn more about him? Spend time with him? Get to know him? Did you get to church early? <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to touch the raw nerve there. Did you want to do things for him? Were you busting to serve his house? You know, I was made a decision for Jesus when I was 12. But over the teenage years, I sort of, you know, wandered a little bit around 16, 17, 18. But when I was 19, I came back very strong and I knew that I was making this, this time, this kind of adult mind sort of decision, this was it. If I was... If I was making a decision to follow Jesus, I was absolutely, this was it for the rest of my life. Not, I might waver again, but that was going to be it for me. And I, I, was, I wanted to be at everything. I, I was at morning services. I was at night services. I was at any connect group I could go to. Um, I would put my hand up to do anything that needed to be doing. Yeah, I can do that, whether I could or not. I remember I went to a meeting because there was stacks of kids at our church, stacks, and they used to take a bus around the neighbourhood and pick up, you know, kids that wanted to come to church and parents that went, woo, two hours without the kids in the morning, see you later. Um, and I remember they needed the, something happened, which I can't even remember what happened with the kids leaders, and we had no kids leaders, but all these kids coming to church, and so it was a bit of a desperate sort of... Um, Anybody who's interested in children's ministry, please come to a meeting. Oh, right, I'll be there. Sure, I can do that. And I remember going and sitting in the pastor's office at the time and there was me and I expected a room full of people. Well, th th there's help required. 
isn't this going to be wall-to-wall people? But there was me and two others, and, um, and one, I think, was only there because they felt completely obligated. And I remember them sort of going, look, we need to find somebody to run this ministry. And I had literally been back in church, back with my heart focused and set on God for two weeks. We need someone, we need someone to oversee it. We need somebody who's going to lead this thing. Oh, I can do that. Like, as if I could do that. <laughs> I had no experience with kids. I didn't really even like children that much. I, but I was so keen to just do whatever it took. I didn't care. And, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And I can still, they were very kind, very kind and polite. And what I ended up doing was not leading the whole thing, but, you know, I helped out every week and, you know, sent children home covered in paint because I didn't even think about paint shirts for children. But anyway, um, it got better. Um, When I was 19, I would make meals for people. I would go to the shops. I would, you know, find a recipe get the ingredients, make a meal and drop it around when I knew that I heard around the place that, you know, somebody had had a sick family or whatever because I just wanted them to know that they were a part of a family and that somebody noticed that they weren't there. And I was completely... And, you know, some of you may have noticed, still am from time to time, um, I was completely socially awkward. I, I would deliver this meal so awkwardly, like, at the front door, like, it'd be, oh, yeah, you know, going to make this meal super keen, and I'd, I'd take my, you know, casserole to the, the front door, like, knock on the door, and you'd kind of, you could see that they're just, like, going, I don't really understand. <laughs> and I'd be like, um, okay, here you go, uh, I just, you know, made you some food, so, yep. And off I'd go and I'd get back in the car and it'd just be like this, like, and I'd get in the car and go, oh, that was so bad. Like, I don't know what else I'm meant to do, though. What, else, what do you do when you drop off a meal? You know, I'm sure it blessed some people, but <laughs> I was just so keen to serve, whatever that looked like and however I could find a way. I just wanted to be involved. I just, God had put his heart for his people and his house in me. And it it just really just took off. I couldn't have articulated it then, but that was passionate, sacrificial outworking. I sacrificed money, which was very important to me at 19. I sacrificed time, also very important when you're 19. When we first planted, and for about the first 10 years, every every day I would clean the toilets. So when we were at the school, and there would be like 15 or so stalls at the school, as in like cubicles, I would check before anybody went in there in the mornings, I would just, we'd just do a quick check of the toilets, flick up the lids, just check what hideous things may have been left behind. Um... Because they were school toilets and it was like, oh, this could be nasty. We'd always check them before because for me it wasn't just about a school building. It's the house of God. And I want your experience when you come into the house of God to be a great one. I don't want you to go to the toilet and go, wow, wow. Okay, I wonder if I'm allowed to use the boys' toilets um, because nobody should go in that space. 
I would always check those kind of things. And even once we moved in here, there were times where I would clean the toilets and I'd literally come out, put the bucket back out the back and pick up a microphone and come on stage because I just was like my heart, that he, the heart that God had put in me for the house just continued to grow and I didn't care what job it was. I couldn't care less what I, I do around here, to be honest. I really don't mind what I do so long as I get to serve God. And there's times where Darren and I have talked and we've sort of gone, you know, if we won't do, be doing this, what we're doing, I'm like, you know what? My number one is not being a pastor of a church. I just want to be able to minister. You know, so long as I can serve God, I'm okay with that. These days, it's more like I might pick up beer bottles or cigarette packets. So if you see me coming to church with a beer, it's not because I had a rough morning. Sometimes Damien and others will say, geez, must have been a big morning. Like, you have had a beer already, you've finished one. But, you know, I might see the edge of a cigarette packet in the garden and I'll go and, oh, I'll just grab that on the way in and um, throw my ciggies in the bin. Um, <laughs> because I want it to be nice when you get here. I don't want there to be any distraction from you being able to focus on God. I'm terrible at, look, there's one here. There's like a little bit of, oh, it's probably somebody's fingernail. Um, you know, when I see things that are a distraction, I've just got to do something about it. I'm not OCD. And that might, I might sound like I'm OCD, but if you come and visit my house, you will see very quickly that I am not OCD. I do have some trouble with the word passion. My idea of it, I think, has probably been tainted by the world. You know, it's been teaching over the years where, you know, sometimes we'll go to something and be like, well, what's your passion? And I kind of go, I don't really want to talk about it. Um, and I think it's been tainted by the world, the word passion. And I can tell you this for sure because when I hesitantly typed in passion to just see what the dictionary said, um, my first option at the top of the page was meet hot singles. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'm not like Darren. Our personalities are so different, our temperaments. I'm not particularly emotional. Darren is. <laughs> Sorry, I paused at the wrong time then. I'm just taking a breath. Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you, <laughs> you can be forgiven for seeing him preach and being like, well, I could never be that passionate for God. I, I'm, not, I'm not that person. You know what? Neither am I. Imagine two of us in the house living together. What a nightmare. Like, <laughs> you know, it's awesome that he's like that. But what I've come to realise is that passion looks different on the outside. But the heart of it is the same every time. Temperament, personality, being emotional or not, they're not a real gauge of passion. This is my third point. The real gauge of passion is sacrifice. What am I prepared to give up for this love? Remember the widow with the two copper coins? 
Mark 12, verse 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. It's not just about money. It's about sacrifice. She put in everything. She gave everything. So what heart do you have? One of generosity, of willing, passionate sacrifice? Or is it stingy and reluctant? reading a book at the moment by Erwin McManus, who is at Presence next year, so based on the book, I would say, make sure you're at Presence next year. It's called The Barbarian Way. And he says this, God's will for us is less about our comfort than it is about our contribution. Jesus said of the widow, her contribution was the greatest because it had sacrifice attached to it. She didn't do what was convenient. Sure, it would have been more convenient to spend the money on some food so she could eat. Bill Johnson's book, Hosting the Presence, says this. Convenience and sacrifice cannot coexist. It's harsh, eh? You know, Darren talked last week... um, and talked about our responsibility to fan into flame. 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you, and goes down at verse 7 and says, For God's not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and of self-discipline. You know, we've had good teaching at Victory over the years, heaps of great teaching, and you can fill your head full of knowledge, and that's great. But if you don't do anything with all that knowledge, what's it for? What's the point of it? Over the last few months, we've had a few times in a service where we've responded. And quite a lot have responded and, you know, really felt that God's calling them to do more... um, get involved, whatever, whatever it looks like, whatever God's put on their heart. And there's been a lot of response. I guess I want to just call you to account today and for you to think about when you've responded, what's changed? After you've walked out the door, you've had a nice service, there's been great amplification, so you've, you know, worshipped God. And then you walk out the door and by... Sunday afternoon, you forget, actually, I really made a commitment to God that something was going to change and something was going to shift. And we often forget about it. Has your prayer life changed? Has your Bible reading changed? Have you been setting aside some different time to connect with Him? Are you serving somewhere? You know, a few years ago, late at night, 
after the attempted entrance of a possum down our chimney. And I didn't know that it was a possum coming down the chimney and I probably would have been less disturbed because in my head it was a giant anaconda or something. Um, this possum had over some time been dropping like twigs and things. So we actually ended up with quite a collection of dry leaves, which I decided looked quite nice in the empty fireplace, so I just kept leaving them there. Um, <laughs> they just accrued, and sometimes something would drop down, and I'd think, oh, and I thought it was birds or something, and isn't that nice? Hopefully there's not, you know, a full chimney full of a nest or something. But anyway, I wasn't too phased by it until this night where there was something quite obviously making a lot of noise to come down the chimney. What we discovered that night was that our fireplace is fully ready for a fire to safely be lit in the house because we set fire to the leaves in the bottom <laughs> and all the smoke went up and whatever was in the chimney scurried away and came back another day when everything was clear and, you know, came into the house and wandered around. Um, we now have a special little grate on the top so nothing can come in. But the great thing was we learned how to, that we can have a fire in the house. We've got a lovely fireplace in the winter. It's beautiful. Um, and Simone taught me how to build a fire, which, quite frankly, that is a skill. That is an incredible skill to have. And Simone taught me how to build a fire. Now all my boys are expert fire makers, so I don't even have to do it. Ethan, just if I go build a fire. Yeah, no worries, Mum. You know, I've got it. I've got it. He loves it. And how good are the fires? But you know when you put the wrong thing on the fire. You know when the kids are playing around. Uh, <laughs> because you can smell plastic when it burns, right? If there's things that go, if the fire suddenly goes out, someone's thought it's a good idea to tip a cup of water on there just to see what happens. Like, the fire doesn't burn as hot. You know, it's just undeniable that the magazine pages, if they're sort of a bit too plastic coated, they also let, let off a smell, so you might try and start the fire with that. I don't recommend it. Um, stick to safe options. But it's the same with us. If we're putting the wrong stuff on our fire, or no stuff on our fire to stoke it, the fire's going to die. Our life as an offering to God keeps the fire burning strong. Giving ourselves unreserved is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, way to live in revival. I, I believe that we are heading towards revival. The reverse is just as true. A, little, a life of little or no sacrifice is a sure way to put the fire out. Don't let this journey of grace that we've been on lull us into complacency or convenience. Zach, do you want to come back? Sam, yeah, Sam, Sam, Zach... 
<laughs> Sorry, Darren. He does know who you are. The Barbarian Way by Erwin McManus, he says this. The invitation of Jesus is a revolutionary call to fight for the heart of humanity. We're called to an unconventional war using the weapons of faith, hope and love. Nevertheless, this war is no less dangerous than any war ever fought. And for those of us who embrace the cause of Christ, the cost to participate in the mission of God is nothing less than everything. Nothing less than everything we are and everything we have. Don't let Jesus get lost in convenience. I, I bring this with a pastor's heart. I've agonised over this this week and spent time on the floor just weeping and going, oh, this is too harsh for me to bring this. And I talked to Pastor Keith about it, and he's like, you've got a pastor's heart in this. It's, it's not you kicking up everybody up the backside, so don't take it like that. I want us to be a church that makes an incredible difference. Our vision, like, it's an incredible vision. A life-giving church empowered by the Spirit to influence our city for the kingdom of God. If all we do is come in here on Sunday and feel warm and fuzzy and then go away again, what does it mean? Who does it matter to? Who cares? You know, when Jesus was on the cross, I was thinking about this this week. What was he thinking about? I don't know the answer. But I don't think that he's been willingly going to the cross for us to sit on our backsides and just wait for him to come back. I think that he died thinking, well, this is so going to be worth it because they're going to change humanity. They're going to do something extraordinary. Why don't you stand, church? Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.